Sunday in this building. Wow, 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 wow. Take it in, take it in. But I do want to just pause for a moment this morning and just remember, you know, Scripture does say in Psalm 77, verse 11, it says, I will remember the works of the Lord. There's significance and there's power in pausing in a moment to remember. You know, it'd be so easy for us to be so excited about the transition to the new building, to miss this moment of what God has already done, and to remember his faithfulness. You know, this building really has been a place of provision and a place of the manifestation of God's faithfulness to us as a church community. Many of you guys have joined us since we've been in this building, and you didn't maybe know who we were before we were in this building. Many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But this place has been such a place of God's provision and his faithfulness, and we pause to remember and say, God, thank you. You know, I remember 2020, summer 2020, and we had been kicked out of Scranton, and we did not have a home. No one wanted to rent to a church. No one wanted extra people in their building. No one wanted people singing and all of the things, and we were homeless as a church, and we didn't have a place to gather for seven months. Really, nothing on the radar. You should have seen the buildings I took my kids to to be like, maybe we could meet here, and they're like, no. But God opened up this space, and after seven months of not having a home, this was such an amazing place of God's provision. I remember coming in here as a team, and I remember being so excited to paint the walls in the sanctuary and paint the stage black, and remember everyone being so excited, like, not only do we have a place to gather and worship, but we don't have to be a set-up and tear-down church anymore. Go ahead and look around. For those of you in the building, see these cases behind you? Those are portability cases. At Scranton, the whole church fit into how many cases? 18 cases. And every morning, the church would wake up and come and unpack these cases to, like, create the church, and then after service, tear it all down. And so we're going to practice. If you were never part of the portability church, you're going to get to experience that if you come back after second service and help us tear down and move over there. But I remember being here and being like, God, you provided a space for us, and we don't have to be portable anymore. Thank you, Lord. You know, I remember being so shell-shocked from COVID that I personally was so desperate for security that this building, after four or five months of being in this building, it went up for sale. And, and it wasn't, we didn't really picture ourselves here. It wasn't big enough. But for me, in the flesh, I just wanted security. So we put in offers, and God slammed the door so many times, like making it so clear over and over that we were not supposed to buy this building. He protected us from buying this building. But then from that point forward, most of our time here, we have been in a month-to-month -month lease while the building was listed for sale. And we didn't know where we would go if it sold and we got kicked out. But God has been so faithful that we've been able to be here as long as we needed to. It's been a place of provision. What Eric didn't mention during announcements is that there's actually another church coming in to gather here next Sunday. Yeah. So they came either week one or two of this series, stand in the gap, and they felt like, man, we're supposed to stand in the gap. This building's supposed to be used as a new church plan. They're starting to meet as like a launch team. And so they'll actually be here. We just found that out this week too. And we're like, oh, so we really do need to move everything out today. 
So God has been so faithful. He, he put all of that on hold until we were to leave. He's been so faithful. Remember, you know, one time when we were putting a, we, the deal went through. We put in an offer and they didn't take it. I remember being so frustrated and walking in from the parking lot on a weekday morning to come in office. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, this place is just an incubator. And so today I pause and remember and I thank God for this place being an incubator, for us coming out of COVID and gaining strength and growing. And, and really it feels like this place has been almost like a slingshot to launch us into this next season of ministry that we're going into. God has been so faithful. He has been so good. And I just want us to all pause and remember his faithfulness. God is faithful. He's so very trustworthy. And this building is physical evidence of that to me and to us as a church community. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. This is your church that you are building. You care a whole bunch more about the success of a live family church than we do. And so, God, we thank you for your faithfulness to bring us here to this place after a dry and desolate time of COVID. God, we thank you for allowing us to stay here for as long as we needed to before moving into the new building. God, you're so faithful, you're so good, you're so trustworthy. We remember your faithfulness, and we thank you for this season, for this place that you have provided for us, and for the place that is to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, amen. So today we're continuing our series, Build a Wall. We're talking about the book of Nehemiah. If this is the first Sunday that you're joining us, I'll recap, I'll catch you up real quick. Um... Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament during the time of Israel's captivity in Babylon. And so the first half of Nehemiah, we meet this man named Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. He was in a prestigious role in the palace in Babylon. He hears of Jerusalem being in ruined, feels compelled of the Lord to leave his prestigious role, his comforts in Babylon, and go and help rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that they could be safe and so worship could prosper in Jerusalem. The last couple weeks we've talked about how physically uh, Nehemiah built a wall, but spiritually God calls us to build a wall through prayer, standing in the gap of those who are on a path of destruction, and through invitation, which is what we talked about last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, listen to it on YouTube. But today we're halfway through this series and halfway through the book of Nehemiah. And so the first half, Nehemiah builds the wall with, it, with the team of Israelites, um, and they completed it in record time. You see that in Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Yule and in 52 days, which was record time. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all of the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes because they perceived that this work was done by our God. So the scripture starts by saying, the wall was finished. The new building is almost totally finished. We got our occupancy. We have the speakers have arrived and have been hung. The LED wall is in Michigan, y'all. And it will arrive tomorrow. That will be installed tomorrow. The building's almost totally complete. We'll move everything over, all the rest of our stuff today. And it was done in record time. I remember... Um, You know, this book was a blueprint of sorts the first year that the church started. And I remember Eric and I clung to this scripture 
about the wall being built in record time and people being like, wow, this is a work of God. Because we moved back in May, at the end of May with our family, and four months later, the church was supposed to start in September. And when we moved back in May, all we had was vision. There was no team, there was no money, there was no building to meet in, there was nothing. And God supernaturally assembled the team and the worship leader and the kids leaders and all the funding to launch his church. And, you know, here we are five years later. The story of Alive is layered miracle after miracle of what God is doing because this is his work. It's his church. Amen. Um, And so the wall is built. Halfway through Nehemiah, the wall is built. And then the second half of Nehemiah chronicles um, the the ministry of um, the priest Ezra, and the revival that breaks out once the wall is complete. Um, So if you're taking notes this morning, this morning's message is called A Recipe for Revival. And when I say revival, there's all kinds of things that can spring into our mind, into our heart. When I'm talking about revival, I'm talking about genuine hearts craving the Lord, and a move of God from this authentic place of longing and desperation from God. Today we're going to take a look at how that happened in the times of Nehemiah. And I want to just caution us. Sometimes when we say the word revival, all of a sudden we pull out our old wineskins. Remember we talked about a couple months ago? We're like, oh yeah, when revival happens, this is what it's going to look like. And this is how it's going to manifest. But this morning I want to encourage you to keep the wineskins, old wineskins in the closet And approach this topic with purity of heart and simplicity of heart to say, God, what does it look like for your people to truly be revived? So we're going to take a look at Nehemiah 8 and 9, how God moved through the people, and there was a revival that broke out in the land after the wall was complete. Um, And so starting in Nehemiah 8, the wall was built, and can you imagine, people were hype, like ecstatic. They left Babylon, and now, oh my gosh, Nehemiah came back, and the wall is actually built. It actually happened. We actually did it. We don't have to stand up there with a sword and a hammer anymore, and the wall is built. They're so ecstatic. And so they gather in the town square, and this is what happens. Go ahead and check it out. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 2. After the wall was built, this is immediately what happens next. Then all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they, the people, told Ezra the scribe, to go bring the book of the law of Moses out, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So the wall is built, and the first thing people demand is, Let's hear the word. A couple of things. i got three things that we're going to pull out of what happened in this section of Nehemiah. Recipe for revival. Number one we can pull out of the scripture we just read is that God's people were in unity as one. God's people were in unity as one. It said, now all the people gathered together as one man. Um, the NLT says they all assembled in unified purpose. The message says they all gathered as one person in the town square. Almost every translation uses some kind of phrase of they all gathered as one person or as one man. They all had unified purpose, and this imagery is so strong. You know, the Bible talks about that man 
um, shall leave his father and mother, be joined together, and husband and wife shall become one. In a healthy marriage, a husband and a wife have unified vision and purpose and values, right? And in a healthy family, if the kid goes to mom and asks the question, she has the same answer as if the kid went to dad and asked, because they are unified as one. And so scripture is saying here that the, the Israelites were so unified, it was as if they were operating as one person. Isn't that so powerful? Um, it reminds me of the early church, Acts 2.1. On the day of Pentecost, I'm going to show for the screen. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. They were in unity. They were as one man. And they were in one place. This is so little, but so huge. God loves it when his people dwell together in unity. We want revival. Lord, send revival like we just sang. The first key to revival is unity. We see in Psalm 133, 1 through 3, Behold, how good and pleasant is it for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It goes on to give imagery of what it's like. And then it says, For there in that place... The Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God loves it when his people dwell together in unity. And in that place of unity, God commands his blessing. In that place of unity, um, revival is amped to happen. So what does that mean? The Jews at that time were so unified, they're acting as if they were one man, one person. So there was no gossip in the camp. There was no offense in the camp. There was no division. There was love. I'm sure there was mistakes, but love covers a multitude of sins, right? There was this deep understanding and commitment of the same goals and vision that they had. There was unity. It does not say that when God's people dwell together in perfection, there is where his blessing is. No, because no perfect people allowed, right? We're all on a journey. No, God says where my people dwell together in unity, There I command my blessing. We see this ingredient, we see this principle in revival across scripture that a a forerunner of revival is unity, being in one accord, acting as one person, as one man. I just want to say that when it comes to our community, we have never been so unified as as we are right now. We are all striding in the same direction, unified of heart, unified of vision. I have great expectancy for what the Lord is going to continue to do with that. Amen. The next thing that you see in this scripture, recipe for revival, number two is a hunger for God's word. You saw um, in verse one, it says, they gathered together as one man, and then they told Ezra, hey, hey, Ezra, you go get the book. Ezra didn't tell the people, hey, I'm going to go get the book now. No, the people told Ezra, you go get that book, right? There was a hunger. There was a craving for God's word. And then at the end of that scripture that we just read, it says, the ears of the people were attentive. They were hungry. There was an appetite for the word of God. They told Ezra, go get that book and read it to us. Go get the Bible and teach us from it. So unity being of one mind, being in accord, be at, acting as if one person is essential. But in close second or equal value is this hunger, this craving, this longing for the word of God. And it doesn't say that they were craving for the word of God in like a self-righteous way. 
or like a spiritually prideful way, like I want to know the word so that I know all the right answers. It wasn't that tone. They hungered the word as nourishment out of desperation, out of a deep longing to know and hear from God. Let's keep reading in Nehemiah 8 to see their posture towards the word. Nehemiah 8, 5 through 6, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. Um, They made a little podium for Ezra to stand on to preach the word. And you see that being the first time that someone delivering the word was standing on a podium because they wanted to not elevate Ezra, they wanted to elevate the word. And when he, Ezra, opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, while they lifted their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. There was this honoring of the word. They have been captive. The walls have been rebuilt. And they, the word, they built a podium for the word to be proclaimed from. And they stood as the word was read and they bowed and there was this reverence and this awe for the word. You know, we don't have a culture. Some churches have a culture where when the word of God is read, everyone stands up. We don't have that culture here, but it's an expression of honoring God's word, right? One really great way that we can honor God's word is by bringing our physical Bible to church. We're all about, like, the Bible app and all of that, but, but the phone, our phones are so familiar. We're on our phones all the time. We're in apps all the time. But there's something that says, you know, I'm going to the house of the Lord and I'm going to bring like my physical Bible because I don't even want my face in my phone. I just want to I just want to elevate the word in my life. You know, I believe God is I believe revival is here and I believe it's coming as well in in an increased way. And we are unified, more unified than we've ever been. Um, And there's an elevation and a hunger and an honoring of the word, but I believe there's deeper places that we can go in this church. Would you agree? Where we say, God, I want your word more than anything, and I don't want to see it on the screen. I don't want to see it on my phone, but I want to see it in my Bible. And I want to underline it, and I want to see it with my own eyes. I don't want to take the the pastor's word for it. And opening up our Bible on Sunday mornings and bringing a notepad with expectancy to hear from God. God, I'm so hungry for you. God, I'm so craving a word from you that I don't want to miss it. I don't want to hear it and then forget it when I leave. You know, we bring notepads and Bibles, and during worship, you know, oftentimes uh, there's things that I'm praying about, things I'm seeking the Lord about, and oftentimes during worship, as I'm fully focused on the Lord and worshiping him, the Lord will drop the answer in my heart. And I'm so glad that I've got my notepad right there that I can turn around and grab and write it down because God's words are precious to me. I don't want to forget what he said. So may I encourage us as we are seeking the Lord and wanting revival in our land, let's elevate the word of God in our life. And maybe that's just practically bringing our Bible and our notebook to church. Let's keep reading and seeing what else happens. So Nehemiah 8, 9-11 And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is a holy, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep because they're a crying mess. All the people wept and they heard the words of, of the law. They're a hot mess, guys. Picture this. They're crying, oh, we love the Lord. We love hearing his word. And, and the priests are like, straighten up. This is a joyful day. Verse 10, then they said to him, get your way, eat the fat, drink the sweets, and send portions to those who have nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sorrowful, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and sent portions and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Can you picture this? They're a hot mess. Have you ever been there when you're crying and you're laughing and you're just overcome with emotion? That's the Jews in this, in this moment. They're crying, oh, we're so glad. And the leaders are like, be happy. Oh, we're happy too. They're just elated. There's such this hunger in this um, loving of the word, right? Crying happy tears, but also laughing. What great joy to hear the word. I want to ask you this morning, when's the last time you cried when you read something in the word? When's the last time that you cried when you heard the word preached in a way that connected with your life? You felt God was speaking to you. When's the last time that you laughed as you read the word because it was such the answer that you were looking for and you were so elated at God's goodness? Amen. When's the last time that when we read scripture, we saw something in scripture and we're like, oh crap, I don't live that way. But God's telling me to live that way. And immediately we respond to it. It's that kind of hunger and elevating and honoring of the word that comes before and with revival. Later on in this chapter of um, Nehemiah 9, um, Ezra is teaching from the word and in it he brings up, um, oh, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Is that the next point? Um, I'll say it right now because it fits right now too. Oh yeah, he brings up a scripture, Ezra's teaching, and in scripture it's talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles, which was uh, a celebration and a tradition that God set up um, for his people, but they hadn't been practicing it for generations. And so the Jews um, hear it in scripture, they're like, huh, Feast of the Tabernacles, we're supposed to be like building tents and celebrating in this way? We didn't know that. And immediately they go and start getting the supplies for the tents because they were so hungry to follow the word of God in their life. Worship team, would you mind coming up to stage? We're going to go back into one song. But just felt like it was or one, one point. But at the end of service, we're going to have a song. Just felt like it would be um, wise. Just seemed like it would be honoring to the Lord to leave our time in this building with a song of response at the end. To say, God, we want whatever you want. God, we want revival. We want you to spring something new in our heart as we prepare to enter this new land. So are you hungry? Do you crave and desire the word like an infant does milk? Lastly, so we've got unity there as one person. There was this hunger, this love for the word. Maybe it's just simply putting your Bible by your nightstand elevating the position of your Bible in your house, getting back to the practice of reading the Bible in the morning. How can we elevate scripture in our life? The last thing that we see, recipe for revival, in the story of Nehemiah is humility, confession, and worship. It goes on in Nehemiah 9, 1 through 3. It says, Now on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, in sackcloth with dust on their heads. And those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day. They were reading scripture. And then for the other fourth of the day, they were confessing and worshiping the Lord, their God. 
There's a lot that we see in this scripture, but we see fasting. We see humility. We see confession. We see reading of the word and worship. This could all really be summarized with a holiness, a fear of the Lord, a humility that says, God, I just want what you have and forgive me for where I've missed the mark and um, a saturation of the word and worship in their life. There's an increased passion for the word. There's a, a lingering of worship that we see in this. And right after this moment, for the rest of Nehemiah 9, Ezra get, gets up and he preaches and he chronicles God's faithfulness. And he tells them, do you remember when God called Abram? And do you remember when God called Moses? And he says, do you remember when God led us out of Egypt? Do you remember God's faithfulness? He says, do you remember when God gave us the promised land? And do you remember how unfaithful we were, but how faithful God was? And goes on and on and on, recalling and helping them remember God's faithfulness and their imperfection. And at the end of that message... We get this scripture, Nehemiah 9, 36 through 38, where Ezra, after he explains God's faithfulness and their unfaithfulness, Ezra says, and here we are servants today in the land that you gave our fathers. You know, we could say, and here we are today about to transition into the land that God is giving us, right? to eat of its fruit and bounty. Here we are, servants in it. It yields so much increase to the kings that you have set over us. They were still kind of in bondage to Babylon. Because of our sins, Ezra's saying, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle. Awareness of, man, we've missed the mark. We've stepped out from under the covering of its protection. But we don't want it like that anymore. And we are in great distress. Verse 38, and because of all of this, because of everything I just said about God's faithfulness and how we've missed the mark so many times, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. And so, so Ezra and all the people are like, no more. No more are we going to be unfaithful and God's going to be faithful. God, we're going to live in a way that honors you. And the whole next chapter of Nehemiah 10 lists the names of the people that said, yeah, amen. I want to elevate God's word in my life. I want to be all in. I want to live according to the way he's calling me to live. Lord, send revival. Amen. So we have an opportunity here today to say, you know what, God? We don't want to miss it. You've been so faithful. We want our hearts in a position. We want revival. We're praying for revival. But we got to look inward and say, God, is revival happening in me? And so I'm going to have the worship team just lead us in that tag of the Lord's Send Revival song. Um, and it works out kind of good that no one sat in the front row this morning. Because I'd love to open up old school. And if you're like, man, I'm all about it. I want to rededicate. I want to really tell the Lord this morning that I'm all in. I really want to tell him, God, I'm going to elevate your word more in my life. I'm going all in. God, I really want revival. And God, I really just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. You can stand in your seat and stand in worship. But if you want to just have a, a sacred set-apart moment with the Lord, you're welcome to come down to the altar or kneel in the aisle as we just um, have this song of reflection and consecration to the Lord. Would you guys stand up? Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. Lord, send revival is the cry of our heart. So, Lord, revive us according to your word. 
Lord, build within us a hunger and elevation of your word like never before. Help us go back to our first love and seek you as we did at first. Lord, a fresh consecration to live the way that you're calling us to live. Because God, we don't want to get in the way of what you're doing among us. Lord, you are faithful and we worship you. Amen. Feel free to come forward if you desire, but 